I want you to take your Bible today to the book of 2 Corinthians in your New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. I think the best way to define grace would be with a personal illustration that reflects how old I am. Probably not many in this section over here would recognize the term slop jar. Probably I'm the only one on the platform that would recognize the term slop jar. When I was a young'un, that means a long time ago, we had running water. I got a bucket and run down to the creek and brought it back. Our refrigerator was totally encompassed with a little house built over a cool running spring running out of the ground. Our electric lights didn't work near as good as those on the Western movies. It's amazing how they can take that little match, light that kerosene lantern, and all of a sudden the whole house is just full of light. It wasn't that way when I was a kid. It just stayed dim all the time. To illustrate what grace is really about, every evening, about dark, it was my responsibility to go outside and get the slop jar and bring inside. That's so if you had to slop, you didn't have to go outside. If you don't know what slop jar is, it takes the place of the... And so it was my responsibility <laughs> to go out and get the slop jar. Now in the country where I lived, we didn't know anything about street lights. When it got dark, it was dark. And my daddy owned a, a theater. And they showed the movie... When Frankenstein meets the wolf man. Well, everybody in the county was afraid of the dark after that movie. <laughs> Especially if that moon was full, buddy. They were nobody got out at night. In fact, when my dad showed that movie, several of the men stayed in the theater that night, keep them walking home. You say they're big sissies. I was one of them. Well, I forgot to bring in the slop jar. And uh, my daddy hadn't read all of this parental baloney that we're producing today. And he forgot that you wasn't supposed to whoop kids. Now, a lot of folk whip, but my daddy whooped. And so uh, I forgot to bring in the slop jar, and my daddy put a holy whooping on me. Next morning, real early. Son, would you like to go squirrel hunting today? Oh, I love to go squirrel hunting with my daddy. Just like spending time with my daddy. I deserve what I got from the slop jar. 
but he took the hunting because of grace. I didn't deserve that. That's grace. When somebody does something for you that's undeserved, unearned, that's grace. And that's what God has done for us. He said, for by grace are you saved. Through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Grace is God's marvelous gift. The building in which you sit in today that's air-conditioned, that's grace. Didn't cost you a thing. You thought about that? We don't deserve this. There's nobody around you with enough brains and enough managerial skills to put together what's been put together over these 30 years. From my front porch to this, that's grace. That's, that's just grace. If you take another breath of God's air, that's grace. If you're able to take another step, that's grace. If your wife looks at you without upchucking, that's <laughs> grace. If you look in a mirror and the mirror does not crack, that's grace. If you look into the face of a little child with a smile on their face and they say, Daddy, I love you. That's grace. Amen. Because we're all unlovable. Could I please read for you just a few verses out of the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. Please be here tonight, if you would please, because I don't think there's any ball games on tonight. We're going to have a great game here tonight. Notice verse 1, if you would please, in your Bible. This is Stewardship Month. We do not apologize for speaking and teaching about stewardship throughout the month of January. Because we do not raise money. We do not teach stewardship to raise money. We Talk about stewardship to raise Christians. That's all. We don't need your money. And by the way, God does not need your money. But you sure need God's blessings. Do we not? Amen. Now, Bible. notice the Bible says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. Praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. But this they did not as we hope, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. 
insomuch that we desire Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, knowledge, and in all diligence, and your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Chapter 9, verse 6, in reference to the offering that were taken up for the church at Jerusalem, Paul says to the church at Corinth, But this I say, verse 6, He which sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man accordingly purposed in his heart, so let him, what's the next word? Give. Just so you know what we're talking about. Give. Not like a Baptist. Oh. That's not what. Not grudgingly. Have you ever noticed how uptight people get when you talk about money? They just, I don't know why. I wonder if they get that uptight down at Walmart when they say that will be $10,452 and you put it all in this one bag. Now, if you don't like folk talking about money, don't go back to Walmart because they're going to mention it. Amen. Not grudgingly. I like that word. Nor necessity. For God loveth. What kind of giver? Cheerful giver. And God is able. How many folk believe that? And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. How many times have we mentioned grace down through these verses? All grace toward you. We don't have what we deserve. We have what God gives us because he loves us. If we got what we deserved, we might be bankrupt. God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace bound toward you. Now watch this. That ye always have an all-sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Let's pray, and for about 20 minutes, I'll try to explain to you something that I think if you get a hold of, it will change your life, your family, your finances, and your future forever. Our Father today, 
We need your help. We need your guidance. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with every listener today. And please allow them to realize that what is being said is said by the authority of the eternal, perfect Word of God. And Lord, it makes no difference what man may say. Let God be true and every man a liar. And I pray that you'd help us today as we talk about this subject of grace. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Could I please ask you a question? And I might have asked this once or twice over the last 30 years. Have you ever been done to wit? I wish you could see the look on your faces right now. Verse 1. Brethren, notice what it said. It says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit. We do you to wit. I suppose I have been done to wit, but I probably didn't know it when I got through. I do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. I do you to wit is I'd like to explain something to you in clarity so that you might understand what I'm saying is not foreign or out of this world, but it is being practiced in the churches in northern Greece, in the church of Philippi, in the church of Berea, in the church over there in northern Greece. Church at Corinth, I'd like to encourage you by what somebody else is doing. I do you to wit. I call you to mind. I use as a reference an example the churches in Macedonia. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he's going to take up an offering for the church at Jerusalem that has fallen on hard times. And in taking this special offering, he's saying to the church at Corinth, I want to give you an example. And that example is the church or the churches over in northern Greece. I do you to wit, not of the offering, not of the amount, but of what? The grace of God. Not whooped up, not prayed down, not deserved, but the grace of God that was bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. How would you like to walk into a house continually where that everybody is extending grace to each other instead of judgmental attitudes. What if she burns your dinner and you said, that's okay, honey, I like mine black. <laughs> that will never happen, right? Huh? What if your wife continually served you English peas and you just extended grace and acted like you like them? Would it help a little bit 
if maybe there was more grace in your life and less judgment, more grace and less harassment. Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, we're going to take an offering now for the poor saints at Jerusalem. But before we take the offering, let me please remind you, let me please give you an example of some churches that's already receiving the offering. And let me show you and talk to you about the grace of God bestowed upon these churches. Notice, if you would please, I want to show you something. It says that the grace of God was bestowed. Now, Ephesians 2 and verse 8 talks about grace. Most of you can can quote it. It says, for by grace are you saved. I didn't deserve being saved. I was the vile of the, I was the vile of the vilest. I was the angry of the angriest. I was the sinful one of the sinfulness. I did not deserve anything that God has given me over these last 50 years. You know what I deserved? I deserved hell. A drinking, hell-raising, fighting, bar-hopping, gambling kind of individual. And God extended love and grace to me. And brought me up out of a horrible pit. And set my feet on a solid rock. And established my goings. And put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God. Only God can do that. Only grace can do that. You say, wasn't you a pretty good guy? No, I was a sorry sucker. Now watch this. Look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 7. Talks about the grace of God in verse number 1. But in verse 7, watch this now. Therefore, church at Corinth, church at Joshua... Therefore, as you abound in everything in faith. Now, everybody ought to abound in faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Amen? I mean, I need faith. My wife needs faith. All these years, she said, faith, I'd get better. I didn't say it always works. I just said she's had faith. Abound in faith. The Bible says also that we're to abound in utterance. We ought to be able to speak the message of God more clearly all the time. Verse number 7. And in knowledge, our knowledge ought to grow in the Lord. The Bible said grow in grace and grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in verse number 7. We're to be in all diligence and all love to us. See that you abound in this grace also. What grace? The grace of giving. The reference is plain. God is calling this church, and God is calling this church 
into a wonderful ministry. Notice verse number one. The Bible says, the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. So he's talking about the grace of God bestowed upon that church. Verse number six, the Bible said, notice in the latter part of the verse, that he would also finish in you this same grace also. Verse seven, latter part of the verse, and that your love to us and that you may abound in this grace also. So what Paul is doing is calling this church at Corinth into a wonderful ministry. And what is that ministry? Soul winning? No. Praying? No. Teaching? No. Attending church? No. In the grace of giving. You say, preacher, I'm having some problems with my giving. I don't know why you should. Have you read John 1 and verse 16? Have you read that? Well, preacher, I'll tell you what, I, I just don't have anything to give. Oh, yes, you do. You're just too tight to give it. You just got to saddle on the wrong horse. You say, well, what's my problem? The problem right now is you're mad at me. But here is the wonderful truth you need to realize. God has a ministry for every one of us. Now, we all can't sing like Andrew and Sean. We all can't play the piano like Brother Woody and Ms. Brown. But you know, there's one thing that we all can do. And it's a ministry. The ministry of giving. You say, I haven't got but a dollar. Well, then give God 10 cents of it. You say, well, how in the world, how can I give a 10 cents when I only got a dollar? Next week, you may not have the dollar if God can't trust you with the 10 cents. Paul is calling this church into the wonderful, wonderful ministry of giving. You are a minister, either a good one or a bad one. See that you abound in this grace also. You know, I, I kind of jotted down some things here, and uh, it's it just, why so much emphasis on finances? Why would I emphasize that after 30 years of being at the church? Why would I emphasize finances? Why did Jesus emphasize finances so much? Have you read Matthew 6 lately? It says this, for where your treasure is, you know the rest of it? There will your heart be also. Now, I'm going to try to cheer you up because some of you look like you need it. <coughs> Treasure. Now, this is what's known as a wallet. Right now, 
There's nothing in it except 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 credit cards. <laughs> Look like there's a sole total of seven bucks. Ask me if I'm going to fight for this. But now, if perchance there was a thousand dollars in it, I would know where it is. I would put it in my pocket. If there was two thousand in it, I'd have my hand on my pocket. Now, you frowning at me ain't going to change my preaching. I want you to know that. Okay, because I'm too close to heaven to give in to your little materialistic plans. But if I had $2,000 in it, (laughs) I would know well where it is. And it would gather a lot of my attention. Is anybody here? Where my treasure is, there will my heart be also. My treasure controls my heart, not my heart, my treasure. Lust controls your treasure and your heart. But if you want to control your heart, you put your heart, put your treasure where your heart should be. Is there anybody here? The Bible says this. The reason Jesus dealt with finances so much in Matthew 6 and 22, he says that finances catches the eye. What's the first thing you think of when you think of Trump? He's conservative or he's wealthy? Thank you. Not only does finances catch your eye, finances dims spiritual light. He says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know the next verse? It says, if thine eye is single, thy whole body is full of light. But if thy Light is darkness. How vast, how dark the darkness is. And the whole body is full of darkness. That's why he said you can't serve God and mammon because if you have a double eye and you got one eye on God and one eye on finances, you are divided in your devotion. You're divided in your worship and you are serving the wrong God. And it dims all spiritual light. How many of you have had a real old-fashioned, knock-down, drag-out Baptist fight at home about the Bible? Have you ever had a discussion about money? I'm just saying there's a discussion about finances because where your treasure is, there will your heart be. It catches the eye. It takes the light. And not only that, finances can actually enslave you. 
For no man can serve two masters. He will either love the one and hate the other. And cling to one and flee from the other. Those are strong words. And the only thing that Jesus is trying to do when he mentions finances so many more times than he does anything else. 16 out of the 39 parables are dealing with finances. Finances. Jesus dealt with finances more than he dealt with heaven. Jesus dealt with finances more than he did any other subject because he knew how strong finances could be. I read the other day how absolutely powerful finances can be. I read for you out of the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3, I mean chapter 6. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts. Have you read that verse? This is 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 9. And the Bible said, Which drown men in, in destruction and perdition for the love of money. You know the rest of that verse? For the love of money is what? Now money's not the root of all evil. It's the love of that stuff. The love. You say, you love money? I sure do. I'd love to have a lot more. You say, what do we do with it? Well, I'd invest it to try to get a lot more. And then I'd invest it to get a lot more. You see what happens? You see what happens? Hmm? Fella gave us one time, uh, 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 oh, I'm trying to think what it is, an investment, stock market. Gave us a, uh, I think it was a, uh, or some 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 stock he gave us worth about oh sixty seventy thousand dollars gave it to the church and my wife and I we 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 not too big on that stuff you know we just like giving our money away we don't like making money and he gave us this stock and it wasn't long till I was checking every day. Am I the only sinner in the house? <laughs> I mean, I'm talking about it sometime twice a day. Yep. Honey, what's that stock doing? Uh, and I, I saw what it was doing to me. And it went from like $60,000 and it got up to 97, I think $97,000. I said, sell the dumb stuff. Get rid of it right now. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. It's taking too much of my attention. It's still in my heart. Time I should have been spending in prayer and supplication, soul winning and deer hunting. <laughs> now I'm wasting, worried about what somebody's stock doing because he gave it to them. I, I'm just saying, uh, it can be a thief if you're not careful and you need to be real careful. And if you're not careful, wanting this financial return 
wanting it, it will steal everything that belongs to God. Fill your life with the darkness of the philosophies of this whole world and dim every bit of spiritual light. Now, finance is not wrong and money's not bad, but please do not allow it to steal your heart and dim the spiritual light that God has given you and you be backslidden and cold and indifferent to the things of God. Then come to church and say, yeah, all he talks about is money. No, that's all you've heard. Because it's not my heart that's hard to the subject. It's somebody else's heart that is hard to the subject. And how we manage money is absolutely indicative of our faith in the promises and the provision of God's return on our investment. Do you understand, ladies and gentlemen, this church is not what it is because we have penny-pinched And because we have not been generous. I read one time. Are you ready? Luke 6, 38. Give. And it shall be given unto you. Press down, shaken together, run over. Shall man give to your bosom. Now, when I went and got that slop jar. And that's been a while ago. That running water was real. And our forced air heating consisted of a big, huge pot-belly stove out in the living room. We didn't have carpet. We had linoleum. You didn't need to splash water in your face to wake up. Just put your toes on that cold linoleum and you automatically woke up. And every morning in the winter in Tennessee, I could see my daddy coming to the house. He didn't wear nightgowns. I'm, uh, my folks not into the gown business. The ladies are, but the men. And I could see my daddy even today as he comes into the living room. That's where I slept. Because that was the last room that was left. My daddy would walk up to that stove, tiptoeing up to that big old cold, black piece of iron. And I could hear him say today, stove, you give me heat, then I'll go get you some wood. (laughs) Ain't that how that works? Well, God, if you'll give me a million dollars, I'll give you 50 cents. If God give it to me, I'll give it back. No, that's not how it works. You got to sow before you reap. You understand that? No, my daddy would grab that coal bucket that I filled up the night before. He'd get that kindling that I'd cut the night before. And he'd put in that old cold black stove and, and give that stove something. And in turn, that stove gave him back something. 
until you realize investment and return and you have faith that God can do what he says he can do, you won't understand God economics. You say, well, that's not good economics. When I got saved, I moved out of economics into Godonomics. I just thought maybe I'd drop by and tell you, notice chapter 9 and verse number 6 in closing, and I'm halfway through the introduction, but we're done as done can be. Verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. Now, Andrew and I, we're what's known as big ranchers and farmers. It don't take us long to realize that if you don't sow a lot of wheat, you don't get a lot of wheat back. So we have been blaming our grain drill because it's the grain drill's fault because me and Andrew are cheap when we buy seed. And we've been putting about half as much in the ground as our neighbor. And we drive by our neighbor's field and we don't ever want to look at our field again. And it's got to be somebody else's fault. And this year, we took Brother John out at the ranch and he explained to us in biblical Baptist terminology that you two guys are a bunch of tight-wadded cheapskates <laughs> who thinks that you can sow rocks and you get wheat in return. <laughs> so this year we just doubled up on what we sowed. <laughs> what do you know? Do you have to go to school to realize you reap according to what you sow? Now that's in attitude, relationships, wheat, or finances. Be deceived, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now listen to me real close. We don't need your money. All bills are paid. Do you need God's blessings? Yes, sir. I said, do you need God's blessings? You want your kids to obey and respect you? You want God to look down and say, well, good. Thy good and faithful servant. That is one half of the introduction. And you today, you didn't know it. And you still don't know it. 
but you have been done to wit. You're welcome. And some of you look like you need something to go home and be happy about. Well, let's do them to wit. My favorite movie, television watching, is Foghorn Leghorn. I say, I, I, I say, boy. Is that pretty good? Well, it has come to mind in the neighborhood chicken yard. The cock of the walk, the crower every morning at four o'clock. You want to buy a rooster? (laughs) Mary Davenport always give me the (laughs) roosters. And the ladies are doing well at the neighborhood chicken yard. And everything was going fine every morning. Up on the pole, he would fly, flop his wings, and cock a doodle doo. Everybody knew who was in charge at the neighborhood chicken yard. Everything was fine until one day when he hopped up on the post and began to crow. He looked over and saw the most humongous egg he'd ever seen in his life. Unknowing to him, The neighbor had bought an ostrich. (laughs) He hopped up on that pole, and instead of crowing that day, he looked at that egg, and he said, that has got to be the biggest egg in the world. Got this idea. Flew down off that pole, took his old beak in his head, and nudged that egg through a crack in the fence over into the chicken yard in which he was king of the walk. And he rolled that egg over and he flew up on the nest and summoned all the ladies. And all the ladies looked out of that nest and he said, ladies, Now, I'm not one to complain, but I want to show you what's going on next door. (laughs) Paul said to the church at Corinth, I'm not complaining, but there's something going on next door that we need to get a hold of. And it's the grace of God freely bestowed upon those who wants it bestowed upon them.